What happened when people encountered Jesus? One thing is for sure, no one stayed the same. Skeptics, outcasts, politicians, and religious leaders alike all had strong reactions to him. Some walked away, but some believed. And in those lives, we see the hand of God filling in who they were meant to be. We see the rough outline of their lives given color and shape and form and made into something altogether unique and new and beautiful. No one who ever encountered Jesus was ever the same. For each one, it all started the same way. Meeting him face to face. Morning. My name is Brett Milliken, one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church. Pastor Morgan is in Albuquerque today, preaching at uh, one of our sister churches there and uh, doing a great job. Uh, we've been covering over the last few weeks uh, this series face to face. I've been taking a look at some of the encounters people have with Jesus in the gospel accounts and looking at who they are and what happened to their lives and how they are transformed when they came face to face with Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to help dig down into the issues of our hearts and our lives and to reveal himself to us in order that we might see ourselves more rightly, more clearly. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your grace that has been poured out for us. So we do ask and invite your presence to come be with us. Lord, would you just quiet every accusation, every voice, remove every distraction from our hearts and our minds today and our ears. Help us to hear your voice clearly. But I pray that your word, as it tells us, is like sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to go into the very core of who we are and to divide us. But I pray that you would do so and that you would reveal your glory to us. Help me to preach accurately, truthfully, and boldly today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to read a combined passage this morning out of Mark chapter 5 and then Luke chapter 8. Uh, this story is actually recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I'm going to read from Mark and Luke so we can get a kind of a full picture of what exactly is going on with the person we're looking at today, this woman with the issue of blood. So the passages combined, they say this. As Jesus went, a great crowd followed him. The people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all of her living. She could not be healed by anyone and was no better, but actually rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and ceased. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And he looked around to see who had done it. But when the woman, knowing what had happened to her, seeing that she was not hidden, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and declared in all the presence of the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And this morning, as we jump into this passage and dissect and see what it is that God wants to speak to us, I want to take a focus at three things pertaining to the scripture. Number one, we want to look at the issues behind her issue. Number two, the healing beyond her healing. And number three, the touch inside the touch. Let's start with the issues behind her issues. Now, from the get-go, you can kind of get the sense of desperation in this woman. I mean, she's coming up. She's thinking, if I can just get close enough to touch 
his garments. I mean, there's a, there's a feeling and a sense of, of desperation and despair here. But my question is this, why? I mean, it says she's had this issue of bleeding for 12 years, which means it's not life-threatening. And yet there's this desperation, this sense of despair that she's longing to reach out to touch Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, I believe it's because the issues behind her issue. Now, obviously, she had a physical issue. I mean, she's bleeding for 12 years. I mean, she's lost a lot of blood over that time period. She's probably anemic, probably very weak, right? She's had the inconvenience of having to deal with the bandages and rags that she has to use to basically stop the blood from dripping all over the place. So, I mean, there's a physical issue going on here that's probably, man, really just weighing on her. But beyond just the physical issue, there's also what the, the writer tells a financial issue. We see in, in, in Mark and Luke, it says that she had gone to many physicians and had spent basically all of her money on physicians, and none of them were able to heal her. In fact, it says not only was she not healed, she actually became worse. And so she's utterly broke, in, I mean, impoverished. Now, she's a woman in this time period, and a woman with an issue of blood at that. So it would have been absolutely impossible for her to go find a job. She apparently doesn't have a husband. Either she never married because of the issue of blood or, or he left her because of the issue of blood or something's going on. There's, there's, there's no husband there. And in that time and day and age, if you didn't have a husband and you were alone, then your chances of survival were slim to none. Okay, and so she's struggling financially. She's impoverished. And she wouldn't have even been able to go out and get a job as a prostitute like many women would have done in that day and age when they had no other means of support. Because of the issue of blood, she could not even go into the life of prostitution. So she's hurting physically, absolutely impoverished and broken financially. But not only that, she's also dealing with relational pain and relational issues of utter rejection, as Jamie alluded to earlier. Now, you've got to track with me on this, because in Jewish culture, a woman with a discharge of blood was considered unclean, untouchable. She would have been completely ostracized from society. In Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25 to 27, Moses wrote this, said, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Now in the Jewish culture, there's actually a word that they used to describe a woman who would have been in this kind of predicament, this situation. The word is the word nida, And it literally means one who is separated. Now, this is a big deal to a first century Jew because in first century Judaism, uh, holiness and, and, and ritual purity meant everything. It's what enabled them to come into the presence of God. It's what enabled them to come into the temple. And if they were not able to do so, they would have essentially been cut off from society. See, in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 31, it says, You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness, for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. Now, if you're an unclean Jew in the first century, and even to this day, you cannot go into the temple, you cannot go to worship God, you cannot participate in the communal activities of of your people, right? You've been essentially utterly and absolutely alone in who you were. Now, the temple and worship of Yahweh, the God of the Bible, was the central identity of the Jewish people. I mean, it was what marked them, what made them unique amongst all the other nations 
in the world. So to be unable to participate with that community, to be unable to participate in the worship of Yahweh, to come into the temple with your people, would have been to be utterly cut off from community, would have been to, to be one who did not belong, and thus the word nidah, one who was separated. Now, imagine being in that state for 12 years, physically hurting, financially impoverished, utterly alone and rejected by all that are near to you, not belonging to anyone or any place, completely abandoned and isolated. In fact, the only human interaction this woman had had was with physicians who basically were just wanting to take her money. And think of this. She's been to physician after physician after physician spending her money. And I'm willing to bet, this is just a hunch, I'm willing to bet for her spending money on physicians was as much about having human interaction as it was about being healed. Because she was utterly alone, completely abandoned, cut off from society. So in addition to the physical pain, the financial pain, There's also a major relational pain going on as well. And imagine if you're suffering physically for 12 years, completely broken and adjunct poverty for 12 years, utterly alone and isolated. I mean, isolation is a form of torture in some places for 12 years. You got to believe she's struggling emotionally and psychologically as well. I'm sure this woman's mind is struggling, wrestling with depression, suicidal thoughts, fear of rejection and abandonment. I mean, this woman's issue is not just that she's bleeding. It's all the things that that issue of bleeding bring with it. Now, can you begin to see the desperation behind her need to just reach out and touch the hem of his garment? That was the cry of her heart. If I could just touch him, I could be made well. Now, let me ask, have you ever been there? You ever had physical issues, financial issues, relational issues, maybe psychological and emotional issues? Ever felt like life was spiraling out of control? And I felt like that this weekend. Our little five-year-old boy had to take him down to Dell Children's uh, Friday night, having issues breathing. Uh, Literally, his chest was sinking in and couldn't breathe, rushed him to an emergency clinic. They transferred him down to Dell Children's. My wife and I got to bed about 4.15 that morning, woke up at 7 to come take my daughter to her soccer game. After that, I had to go coach my son's football game. Went back down to see Landon in the hospital, hang out with him for the rest of the afternoon. We finally got home, get everyone settled and in bed. feel like, man, all right, finally we can settle and relax. About 45 minutes into going to sleep, I'm woken up by my middle son, Ethan, who's complaining of an earache coughing, stuffy, snotty, my wife's allergies are kicked up, Landon starts coughing again, got about, I don't know, four hours of sleep last night. It's, it's felt like life is spiraling out of control. Have you ever been there? See, I think this woman is someone we can all relate to. And I know the, the danger, especially for us as men sitting in this room today, is we hear, oh, it's a woman, issue of blood, that's feminine stuff, I don't have to deal with that, I can't relate to this, I hope my wife's listening. Listen, you need to hear this woman's story as much as anybody, because we can all find ourselves in a place where we're hurting physically, where we're struggling financially, where we're we're relationally in a place where we feel rejected, abandoned, and alone, where we're wrestling with depression and suicidal thoughts and fear of rejection and anxiety. The reality is that all of us in here are like this woman, and just like this woman, whether we realize it or not, We're all desperate for point number two, 
the healing beyond the healing. Now, hopefully you can see this woman needed much more than just physical healing. I mean, the, the issue of blood drying up was just the tip of the iceberg of what this woman actually needed. What she really needed is what many of us need today, and that was total and complete restoration. In Luke chapter 8, 44 to 48, we'll go back to our passage. we read this. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, let's take a look briefly at how Jesus brings about not just physical healing, but complete restoration to this woman's life. Now, the physical healing was actually an act on the woman's behalf. Like, Jesus and many other stories in the gospel, we see Jesus walking along and he stops to talk to someone and says, wilt thou be made well? Right? Or he, he comes along and someone's brought to him and say, will you heal him? And he reaches out and he touches them to bring healing. But not this story. This story, the woman comes in like stealth mode. She sneaks up behind him and kind of steals a healing. So the, the physical act was really on her and her alone. But what she began with a physical touch, Jesus completes by healing what was truly bleeding. And that was her heart. But how? Well, first, he calls her out of the crowd. Now, remember, she's unclean. She's untouchable. For her to basically identify herself would have been to risk being made fun of, being poked at, being shoved, being pushed, being mocked, being yelled at, being screamed at. For her to come out of the crowd was a great, great risk for her. Because even though her issue of blood had been healed, no one in the crowd knew it yet. And if she reveals herself, like, and they got to understand, in that day and age, if she was to come into the city limits, she would have had to call out, unclean, unclean, so that everyone could get out of her way, so they could go into their homes, they could turn their back on her, they could remove themselves, so they themselves would not also become defiled. And yet the first thing Jesus does is says, show yourself. She's desperate. She's as desperate to stay hidden as she is to be healed. You know, the first thing Jesus does is force her to come out of the shadows, to self-identify, to make herself known, not only to him, but to the crowd. Listen, this is true of you and me as well. Wherever we're struggling and wrestling and needing God's touch today, wherever we're needing complete restoration, it begins first and foremost by coming out of the crowd. By stepping out and identifying and saying, yes, I am messed up. Yes, I have issues. Yes, I need the touch of God to bring restoration in my life. See, we're really, really good at masquerading, right? We could be struggling physically. We could be hurting financially. We could be relationally just in a bad, bad place. We could be struggling with thoughts of suicide and depression. But we roll up in here on a Sunday and someone says, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. I'm good. I'm great. We masquerade. We cover up. Why? The same reason this woman wanted to stay hidden. Why did she not want to come into the crowd? Why did she want to kind of come in stealth mode and just stay hidden, sneak a stealing and get out of there? Because she knew that if someone knew who she really was, if she was truly seen for who she was, then there was going to be rejection. There was going to be abandonment. There was going to be judgment. There's going to be isolation, loneliness. So I think that's the same reason that we masquerade. We, we come in contact, man. We, 
We, we come to church on Sunday. We participate in the community group throughout the week. We, when we're around other people, but when the moment arrives and the opportunity presents itself, when God says, hey, come out of the crowd, how do we respond? We say, oh, no, 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 I'm good. I'm just going to blend in right here. I don't want anyone to know me. I don't want anyone to see me. I don't want anyone to know what's really going on in the depths of my heart. Because if they do, what might they think? How would they respond? Or worse, not only do we not come out of the crowd, we actually retreat from the crowd or remove ourselves from the crowd altogether. You know, this woman, very easily, she had already gotten her healing. Right? She felt the issue of blood dry up as soon as she touched Jesus. When Jesus says, reveal yourself, it would be real easy for her to just kind of slink to the back of the crowd, turn and leave. She got what she needed. She didn't need anything else. And how often do we as Christians, when life is falling apart, when the issues of life are berating us and beating down on us, do we kind of remove ourselves from the crowd? Not only do we not reveal ourselves, but we actually remove ourselves. We say, you know, I'm going to deal with this on my own. I got this. I don't need the people of God in my life. Don't you understand? God's put those people there for the exact reason of bringing about the healing that you so desperately need. Let me tell you this. Jesus loves you too much to let you stay hidden in the shadows. He wants complete restoration in your life. So like this woman, he forces you and me to come out of the crowd. And here's one major truth you need to understand about Jesus. He will always get more from you than you originally planned. But he will always give you more than you ever thought. So we come in here on a Sunday, we come to community group during the week, we read our Bible. We, we tend to come to Jesus with this mindset of, man, I need this, God. This is what I need. This is what I'm wanting. This is what I need from you today. And God's response almost every time is, no, no, yeah, I got that. You actually need more. So I'm going to demand more. I'm going to give you more than you ever thought. Listen, you want the healing power of Jesus to flow in your life? You're always going to have to give more than you thought you are going to have to give. But you're going to get more than you ever thought you would get. Now, catch this. As terrified as this woman was to come out of the crowd because of how others might respond to her. There's a subtle thing happening here that it's real easy to miss. See, everybody else in that crowd, if they would have known who this woman was, they would have run in the other direction because they did not want to be associated with or identified alongside of who she is. She's the unclean one. She's the nidah. She's the one that doesn't belong. And if I'm associated with her, then I don't belong. So when she comes out of the crowd, I'm heading to the doors. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, no, come here. I want to be associated with you. I want to be identified with you. Now listen, this could have caused Jesus all of his social standing in that day and age. If he is known to have touched this woman, known to associate with this woman... And all of his claims of messiahship, all of his claims of being the son of God, everything that this crowd had come to believe, that they're gathered around him, the popular guy is in town, right? Everything that he had had gained to that state would have been lost, could have been lost if he's associated with this woman. And yet his response is this, no, come to me. I want to be identified with you. Identify yourself and then I'll identify with you. And you'll belong to me. And after calling her out of the crowd, after the people gasp in disgust, after she comes trembling in fear, Jesus does the one thing that she actually needed more than anything else. Not only does he force her to self-identify, 
Not only does he come and identify himself with her, but then he brings about a complete redefinition, a redefining of who she is, and he does it with one word. Daughter. Daughter. You see, the physical healing alone would have stopped the physical issues, right? It would, have, it would have stopped the bleeding she was suffering. It would have helped fix the financial issues. She doesn't have to go spend her money on physicians anymore. But I guarantee you, she would have walked around in the eyes of every other person and in her own mind as well, still caring about this stigma of Nidah, the one who doesn't belong. She would have carried that identity with her. Had she just gotten the physical healing and walked away, she would have carried with her for the rest of her days. The identity of Nida. She doesn't belong. Yeah, yeah, sure, she's not bleeding anymore, but I know who she is. She's not carrying around those issues anymore, but I remember who she was. And yet Jesus, with one simple word, not only heals the physical need, but transforms other people's perceptions and her own perception of herself by saying, Daughter. Now, how? How does that happen? Well, take a look at the scene. Now, Jesus is the local celebrity, right? The reason this crowd has gathered is not because they all believe he's the Messiah. They think he might could be the Messiah. But the reason they've gathered is the same reason crowds gather if LeBron James walks into a room. Why? That's LeBron James. He's a man of importance. He's a celebrity. Everybody knows him. So if I can get his autograph, if I can get a hug or maybe a kiss, ladies, if I, if I, can, if I can be associated with this man, if I can be connected with a guy who's important, then it makes me important as well. And so this crowd has gathered around Jesus and are pressing in on him, as the scripture tells us, bumping into him, not because they have faith in who he's claimed to be, because they see it as a means to advance their own social status. They see it as a means to advance their own religious standing. If I can be associated with the important guy, then I can become important as well. I think about it. Have you ever had a conversation or, or maybe you've been the person who's come in contact with someone who's famous or, or popular? Right? But why do people do that? Because our, in our mindset, we think if we can change other people's perception of us then somehow it changes us. If I can be associated with someone that other people want to be like, then they'll want to be like me as well. I can have the stories everybody else wants to hear. I can be the one that other people envy rather than the one who's envying other people. So this crowd is pressing around him. But here's the deal. Merely changing other people's perception is like slapping a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It can never heal the wound out of which that insecurity has grown. For that, you need more than just to change the way others see. You need to change the way you see yourself as well. And that's exactly what happens with this woman. See, for everyone else, Jesus was still just the local celebrity. But this woman knew exactly who he was. She believed he was way more than just a popular guy in town. So she believed he was the Messiah, the Son of God come in the flesh, the King of the universe the one she had devoted her entire life to worshiping. And the moment that he identified himself with her and invited her to identify herself with him, the moment that he calls out to her daughter and demonstrates his unconditional love, affirmation, and acceptance of who she is, in that moment, not only did the opinions of everybody else not matter, but the opinion of herself was transformed as well. 
She was no longer the nada. She was no longer the separated one. In that moment, she was the one who had been brought near. In that moment, she was the one who belonged. In that moment, she was the one who was the daughter of the most important person in the entire universe, Jesus. In that moment, there was only one person whose voice she could hear, whose opinion actually mattered, and that was Jesus. But what was it that led to her receiving this new identity? It was her faith-filled desire to reach out her hand and do point number three, touch the hem of his garment. Now let's go back to our passage in Luke chapter 8. So she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, get this. Many, many people are bumping into Jesus. They're pressing in on him, as Peter says. But there's something uniquely different about the way this woman touches Jesus that separates her touch from every other touch in the crowd. Which means this. Here's a little side note for you. Just being around Jesus is not the same as touching Jesus. So the crowd's pressing in because Jesus is simply a means by which they can advance their social status, their religious standing. This woman sees him not just as a means to advance her agenda, but as the one source of life and salvation that she so desperately needs in her life. Listen, you can roll up in here to church on Sunday. You can go to community group on Tuesday or Thursday or whatever day it meets. You can spend the week surrounded by other Christians. You can read your Bible. You can come to prayer on Friday morning. But if you're doing those things simply as a means to advance your own social status, to change other people's perceptions of who you are, or maybe to put God in your debt so he owes you something, listen, you may be pressing around Jesus, you're not pressing into Jesus. And there's a monumental difference. And if that's you, you will never experience the depth of the healing and the restoration that comes when the healing virtue of Jesus flows into your life. That only comes when you submit yourself and your life to him and you say, I want to be identified as his. I want to belong to him. My life is his. That's when healing virtue flows. But to truly understand what's happening here, you have to understand this word fringe. It says she reached out and touched the fringe of his garment. Now, this word fringe is the Greek word kraspedon. It literally means tassel. Okay, we got an image there. That's a good picture of what Jesus' robe would have looked like. These tassels hanging off. In first century Jerusalem, and even to this day, uh, rabbis and, and Jewish men, they wear these, these overgarments, these cloaks, these shawls, if you will. And this is what Jesus would have been wearing as a first century rabbi. And on the four corners of those garments, there's these tassels that are hanging down. They're blue and white threads. They're tied in knots. And they're hanging down off the edges of the tassels. Now listen, as Pastor Jim referred to last week, Jesus had just finished doing a whole bunch of really cool stuff, right? He's been teaching in Peter's boat. He helps them have this massive catch of fish that's performing this miracle. He goes out and calms the storm when they were crossing over the Sea of Galilee. They go over to the Decapolis and he casts out a couple thousand demons from this demoniac man that no one could chain. He's busting chains and stuff like He-Man and Jesus is like, come out of him. Boom, he's done. 
Then he crosses back over the Sea of Galilee, and that's when the interaction with this woman takes place. That's why the writers, Mark and Luke, they say, for she had heard the reports of Jesus. She knew what was happening. She knew what had been going on. And the stories and the miracles that told everybody else, oh, he, he's, he might be the Messiah. He's definitely some cool dude that I want to associate with. In her mind, it confirmed that, yes, indeed, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, come in the flesh, the King of the universe, and I need to touch him. But this word, Craspedon, tells us that in her mind, there was something unique about where to touch. Here's how we know that. Jesus, again, was a Jewish rabbi. He would have been wearing this garment. In Numbers 15, we read this. So the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of one's garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at and so will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God for I am the Lord your God. Now, again, in ancient Israel, the men wore these tassels. They wore these garments. It represented a couple things. One, it reminded them of their responsibility to fulfill God's commandments. So, in other words, these tassels carried with them the, 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 the commands of God, the holiness of his word. Okay? The number of knots that they tied into these tassels were to correspond and correlate with the name of God, which is Yahweh. Right? So, the tassels not only represented the word of God, they represented the name of God. Right? As centuries went on, as time went on, these tassels also became associated with the authority of a person. Okay, let me give you a few examples. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, there's a story of David who's running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him, hunt him down. David goes and hides in a cave, right? Well, Saul, it just so happens as he's pursuing David, has the need to relieve himself. And so he goes into this cave to do his business. Well, while he's in that cave, it says that David sneaks up behind him and cuts off part of his robe. Let's read the story. It says, Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to be my Lord, to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Why is David so torn up over cutting off a piece of Saul's garment? Because the piece he cut off was this, the craspedon, the tassel, the corner of his garment. He represents, he's really, in other words, David is associating the authority of God with the corner of Saul's garment. Saying, far be it from me to rob this man of the authority that only God can give him. Okay, let's look over in the story of Ruth and Boaz. You're familiar with the book of Ruth towards the end? She and Naomi are struggling. They come to Boaz, basically ask Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer. There's a scene where Ruth comes in the evening while Boaz is already asleep in bed, and she sneaks into his house. She curls up at his feet. And at some point during that exchange, Boaz taps her. He's he's woken up by the fact that there's someone laying at his feet. He says, who is it? Okay, and here's here's what the scripture tells us. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garments over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer. 
So you've got to get the scene here. The kinsman redeemer was the one that had the responsibility. If a, if a woman's husband and sons and were all dead and she had no means to care for herself, the next closest male relative had the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer, which meant he had the responsibility to come and bring her under his authority, under his provision, under his protection. So when Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment over me, what she's asking is this. Cover me with your authority. Cover me with your protection. Cover me with your provision. You are my kinsman redeemer, the one who can heal all of my issues. Now we know that Jesus wore this kind of a garment because we see in the book of Mark chapter 6, this report. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and docked at the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region, began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him, get this, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. See, these fringes, these tassels, represented the righteousness of God's word the holiness of God's name, and the authority of God's kingdom. And this woman would have known that as a Jewish woman. She would have heard the story. She would have known the scriptures. She would have been familiar with what these tassels represented. But she also would have been familiar with this real quirky messianic prophecy found in the book of Malachi. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, Malachi writes this, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Now that word wings is the Hebrew word kanaf. It literally means the fringe or the edge of a bird's wing. In other words, Malachi is using this imagery of a, of a bird's wings and the tip, the edge of his feathers as a mother gathers the chicks beneath her and covers them with the fringe, the edge of her feathers. Malachi is saying when Messiah comes, there will be healing in the fringe of his wings. He'll not only carry with him the perfect righteousness of God's word, the holiness of God's name, and the authority of God's kingdom, but he'll also come to begin putting back together all that is broken in our world. This woman believed that Yeshua, that Jesus, was this Messiah that Malachi had written about. That he was Yahweh come in the flesh, righteous in all of his ways, with the authority over sickness and disease, life and death. And in this faith, that Jesus was who he claimed to be and could do what he claimed he could do. She reaches out and touches the fringe of his garment and is healed. Listen, she wasn't just content to be around Jesus. She wanted to press in, reach out, and touch Jesus in faith. And so when Jesus comes to her and says, Daughter, your faith has healed you, he's not commending the strength of her faith as much as he is the object of her faith. So she'd already demonstrated strength and faith in the physicians, right? She'd gone from one to the next. And she was willing to give all of her money in faith, trusting that the physicians could heal her. And yet she was worse. When Jesus says, your faith has healed you, he's not saying, oh, you've got strong faith. He's saying your faith is directed in the right place. Referring to this passage, Dr. Timothy Keller, he said this, it's not the strength of your faith but the object of your faith that actually saves you. What about you? When you're faced with the issues of life and find yourself desperate for something to numb the pain, what do you turn to? 
TV, video games, pornography, sex, social status, drinking, drugs? Are you desperate to reach out and touch Jesus and come under his authority, his protection, his redefining who you are from the inside out? Do you turn to the only one who can truly heal? Not just the outward issues of your life, but the deeper issues of your heart as well. Let me close with this last thought. This woman found healing when Jesus not only identified with her in her uncleanness and loneliness and rejection, but when he welcomed her and loved her and accepted her. But listen, you and I have something greater than this woman ever had. In Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 5, Isaiah writes this. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, what you and I have today that this woman didn't have at that moment in time because it was, it was that side of the cross. What you and I have, this side of the cross, is not just one who's willing to heal our issue of blood, but one who is willing to pour out his blood on our behalf. We don't just have one who's willing to identify with us in our impurity. We have one who literally took our impurity upon himself and hung it on a cross. We don't just have one who has pity on us because of our rejection. We have one who became rejected for us, who lived the life we could not live, died the death we should have died, and while hanging on the cross, cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He didn't just say, no, no, I understand. I'll accept you. He said, I'm going to be rejected for you so you can be accepted back into the arms of your loving Father. And the moment he cried out on that cross, he not only took all of our sickness and disease, he took our utter rejection, our unrighteousness upon himself, so that you and I, today, could hear the voice of God call out to us, daughter, son, your faith has made you well. And the same can be true for us today, for you today. But like this woman, it starts with us coming out of the crowd. It starts with us identifying our desperation, our need to reach out and touch, to be healed and made whole. To not just heal us physically, not just financially, not just relationally, but spiritually. To be brought back in, put back together to be the ones that God has made us to be. But you've got to reach out in faith. You've got to come under the healing authority of King Jesus and allow him to redefine who you are and heal the brokenness that's in your heart. Let me just clarify one thing here. Listen, I'm not saying you've got to try harder. I'm not saying you've got to somehow clean yourself up so that you can come and touch Jesus. Listen, this woman had no hope. She could not clean herself up. She, could, she had tried everything in her own power to stop the issue of blood. And it was all for naught. In a moment of desperation, in the moment of realizing I, I am broken physically, financially, relationally, emotionally, psychologically, I cannot do anything for myself. She comes and reaches out in faith, and Jesus says, that's right. Identify yourself. Come and be identified with me. Faith 
in me and who I am and what I bring and what I represent has made you well. So it's not about us trying harder. See, I think in American Christianity, we've bought into this mindset, I think, because we're so individualistic and we're so kind of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. And this country was founded on hard work and determination that we bring that into our relationship with Jesus. We think, yes, Jesus died to forgive me of my sins, but now I've got to impress him. I've got to improve upon myself. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to figure this thing out so he can really accept me. It's like we get saved and somehow we see ourselves as some redheaded stepchild. We're somehow like, we just kind of barely made it into the family. And now if we can just impress God enough, man, then we have a seat at the table. But look, Jesus' response to this woman was not, oh, unclean one, come and impress me with your faith so that I might call you daughter. It was not, oh, you've, you've taken the first step. Now if you can go do these other ten steps, then I'll call you daughter. No, his first word to her was, daughter, you're mine. I love you. You belong. And see, when we try to clean ourselves up, when we try to heal our own issues, we carry with us this weight of condemnation, this, this burden that we walk along with. Man, is God impressing me today? Have I done enough today? Is he pleased with me today? Listen, this woman knew no one was pleased with her. She knew she was outcast. She knew she was alone. She knew she had no other hope. And out of desperation, she reaches out and she says, if I can just grab hold of the king of the universe. If I can just grab hold of his righteousness. If I can just grab hold of his perfection. If I can just grab hold of his healing authority. I too can be made well. As Philip and the band come up, we're going to close by singing a song here. It's called No Condemnation. Here's what I want to challenge you today. Our prayer team's going to come forward as we start to play. Here's my challenge for us today in light of, of what God's saying. Listen, if you're here and you're walking under that condemnation, that burden, you're, you're walking under the issues of life that have defined you, if it's the perceptions of other people that have marked you and, and formed your identity and you're feeling isolated, you're feeling alone, you're, you feel separated from God. You've never surrendered to His authority. You've never put yourself under the shadow of His wings and said, Jesus... I'm coming out of the crowd to identify as one who is in desperate need of you. Coming out of the crowd to reach out and touch you in faith. Trusting that you can heal. Not just the physical and financial and relationship issues, but you can heal the one issue that I need healed more than all else. You can redefine me as your son, as your daughter. You can bring me back into relationship with God the Father. You can reconcile and begin putting me back together the way you intended me to be. If you've never confessed that sin and submitted to the, not just authority, but the amazing grace that Jesus has offered. I'm going to challenge you this morning as we sing this song to get out of your seat. Come out from the crowd. Come up here and let someone pray with you and touch Jesus in faith. But for those of you here that you are a son or daughter of God, you have submitted yourself to the authority of Christ. You call yourself a Christian. I know, man, just because we come to faith in Jesus doesn't mean all of our issues go away. It doesn't mean life becomes easy and we just stroll through it. I mean, just yesterday, I'm wrestling in the hospital with my son. God, heal him. God, spare him. If you could see the look of terror on his face when he couldn't breathe, man, as a father, oh, I know life's not easy. 
And so if you're here and you're a believer, we're going to have people up here to pray with you. Come forward. Come out of the crowd and say, man, there's a situation in my life that I am utterly desperate for God to move. I cannot do it on my own. I need the healing touch of Jesus to intercede on my behalf, on my friend's behalf. I'm going to challenge you also to come out of the crowd. Come out of the crowd. Touch Jesus in faith. Let his healing virtue flow into you, his son and his daughter. Let's pray. Father, be with us in this moment as we sing songs of worship. Lord, move in our midst. Call us out of the crowd in order that we might be made whole. In Jesus' name.